good to see y'all. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'll go ahead and confess that in advance I have not pared down the material that I've got to cover this morning. Um, probably got about three hours worth. We'll see how fast I can talk or what we need to focus on, and we might just have to cover this particular section in more than one day. Um, and that would be all right. Um, I'm going to try and pray um, for my sake and for yours. Bow with me. Merciful Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for these showers of blessings, Father. We thank you that you are with us, that you promised never to leave us and forsake us, Father, that you're good and your mercies are new. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Father, we thank you that we're able to lift up our voices and try to sing praises to your name. Father, your name is high and holy and worthy of our praise. Father, your word is true and that solid rock on which we can rest our lives. And so, Father, thank you for this opportunity to come and to listen to your word. Father, may it be delivered in a way that feeds your sheep. Lord, may it come in and Nurture them and strengthen them for the days to come, Lord, and most importantly, that we would live it out. Father, I pray that everything I say would be true and accurate and honest in accordance with your word, and that you would be glorified in all things, and Father, that your sheep would know more about you and love you more and desire to please you more. And Father, I pray that uh, you would just be with each one with whatever struggles and anxieties are, are troubling their mind right now, that you would allow them to lay those aside and to listen and to be able to have open hearts and minds ready to hear the word uh, that you've sent for us from your, from your holy scriptures. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. We've made it up to verse 19. I'm going to read 19 through 34. They're all connected. I know it's kind of hard to listen to a preacher read a big chunk at one time. So try and hang with me. Um, if you don't get it all, it's okay. We're going to go back over it. But it's one, it's one section, and so um, it makes the most sense not to try and understand it piecemeal without looking at it all at once. So... Verses 1 through 18 had been talking about hypocrisy, right? The reasons that you do things for the Lord should be for the Lord, not to be seen of men, right? When you're praying, in your fasting, um, uh, and in your almsgiving, compassions, showing, need, showing mercy to those in need, all those should be done with the purpose of serving the Lord and pleasing Him, not to be seen of men, all right? That's 1 through 18 in 20 seconds. Starting in 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break, break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate one and love the other, or else he'll hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the field of the grass, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, 
take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Y'all see the theme traced throughout this whole passage. All right. So let's break down the structure of it, and then we'll dig in the weeds. Verse 19 is a command, not a suggestion. Command. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's a negative command. When you think about the Ten Commandments, how many of those are in the negative? My father used to just use the expression, thou shalt not. <laughs> Insert whatever. Sometimes he didn't say any of this. Whatever I was about to do was just thou shalt not. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. That's, a lot of these are in the negative, right? Well, here's a thou shalt not. But 20 is a positive. Something you must do. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. And again, these are commands, right? 21 and 23, 21 through 23, gives you a teaching of why. Sometimes as parents, we tell our children to do things and we don't tell them why. We're not obligated to. But as teachers, which is what our role is, it's probably better to. And so here, he's teaching us why. Why do we lay up treasures in heaven versus the earth? 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's teaching you what is the impact going to be on your heart based on what's your motivation in life, what's driving you, what are you seeking. And then 24 gives you a statement of fact. This is just something that's plain old true. No man can serve two masters. Period. Right? You cannot have equal service to two different people. One of them is going to have to take priority because there's going to be conflict. Right? Of who's going to, and when there's that conflict, who do you listen to? And then 25 um, through, uh, well, 25 gives you an application on because this is true, because of these commands, because of this fact. What should you do in your life? And it has to give, it regards giving thought, taking thought of. That's uh, anxiety, anxious care. Right, y'all? Y'all ever give in to anxiety? Right, that's what's being discussed here. You don't have to have anxiety about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. And it gives you an example pointing to creation. Look at the birds. How many of those are out there running a John Deere? Right? No birds are out there planting. They're not harvesting fields. They don't have barns where they're stocking up. But their, their, their creator makes sure they're fed, right? He says, how much better are you than that? All right? So it gives you an example of your heavenly father's taking care of that which is least and insignificant and making sure that they have enough food. Aren't you better? Same thing with raiment, the clothes you're going to put on. He says, look at the flowers. You know, they're not out there laboring to grow flax and to spin it and make it into fancy clothing, right? And yet, he says, you know, the natural beauty that God creates for these little itty-bitty flowers, often weeds, right, is greater than Solomon had. And yet today, they're here, and tomorrow they're cast in the oven to be cooked over, right? So aren't you better than that? So do you have the ability to trust that the Creator who takes care of that which is least, and feeds it and clothes it, is going to feed and clothe you? He knows what you need. And so, because of that, giving you a, per, a, a positive instruction to change your focus from chasing the things of the world with your whole heart and mind and soul and seeking Him rather, right? So adjust your focus instead to seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. And those other things, the Lord's going to take care of that. He'll add it unto you. All right? Taking no thought for the morrow... For the morrow shall take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil of You don't have to worry about the future. Because you know who's in charge. And just being consistent and living out what's the next thing I can do in God's service. All right? So you've got 
a negative command, you've got a positive command, you've got the explanation of why and the impact upon your heart. You've got a statement of fact about you can't serve two masters, so don't try, don't dissuade yourself, don't you know, create this illusion in your head that I can have it both ways. You say, well, what about all these things that I've got to have? Yeah, Lord knows you have them. Here's the example of nature of how he takes care of it, and you're better than that. Seek him first. That's kind of the, the 10,000 foot level. All right, but there's some there's some some nuance in that, and we're going to try and dive into it over the next two or three hours, fifty minutes. We'll see. All right, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up means to amass heaps, storehouses. Treasures literally just means deposits. What do you mean depositing? You think about boys when you go to the bank, you have to make a deposit, right? So it can be stuff. I mean, just laying up these treasures, these deposits on earth. Why? Well, one of the things is that they're going to go away, right? Moths. You know, ever ever had some clothes that you were stored for a long time, you go back to them, and now they look like Swiss cheese? They probably cost a lot of money at some point. They had value at some point. But clothing, it's just all going to wear out. Rust. You can buy the nicest car. You go let it sit out in the field for 100 years, rust away to nothing. Plastic, it might last a little bit longer now, but get the idea is that with time and age, all the trinkets that we have, you think about all the earthly possessions that people had 100 years ago. How many of those are still around and active and in good use? Let's say the vast majority of it is gone, right? And oh yeah, they're... They're in danger of being lost. A thief can come in and steal it. Um, Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23 talks about the flight of riches. Proverbs, right after Psalms. Start reading in verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? You're laboring to rich, you want laboring to be rich, you see this massive pile of stuff, and yet God says you're really looking at something that's that's not even there. What do you mean by that? He says, For riches certainly make themselves Wings, and they fly away as an evil eagle towards heaven. Right? They don't, they don't last. Everything that you see and can touch here is eventually going to be burned up. That's that's the end result. It's not lasting. Um, and so, the contrary point to that is laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All right. This could be kind of confusing to us. What does that what does that mean? Well, let's go over to Luke chapter 12. Cuz Jesus, believe it or not, Jesus would repeat himself. Oh, a teacher saying the same thing more than once? Yeah. So, in Luke 12, the context of this conversation is someone came and said, uh, "Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It ain't fair." All right? And Jesus responds, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Verse 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness, the love of stuff, desiring stuff, envy and jealousy over stuff. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Then he gives the parable about that rich man who had brought forth so much that year. He's like, My barns can't contain it all. What am I going to do? Tell you what, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger and then I'll just sit back and say, I've got enough to last me for years and years. Um, um, I'll just eat, drink, and be merry. Right? And how does God end the parable? It says, God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of these. And then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So here the riches lasted longer than the man himself. And listen in 21. It says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this element of what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? It has an idea of being rich toward God. 
Um, later down, verse 31, he's repeating about, after all these things the nations of the world seek, food and clothing, um, your Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. 32. Fear not, little flock. Children, do I ever say that? Fear not, little flock. Right? The context here is, you don't have to fear. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You believe your Father has a kingdom? You believe you're an heir to that kingdom? He's going to give it to you one day? Yeah. Do you have to fear about here? Sell that you have, give alms, provide yourself bags which wax not, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. So the, the bags that wax not, bags that grow empty. And there's things about in Proverbs about you know the bags that just you carry around money. It's just like it's got holes in the bags. Over kid, you had money is burning holes in your pocket and just never couldn't stand there, right? And the idea is that when you're using what the Lord has put into your care in the best of His service, it's the idea that you're laying up treasures in heaven that fails not. No thief can approach that. And really it's just an acknowledgement of that all that I have here is vastly insignificant to what remains. Y'all ever had like a, a, a handful of pennies and you give out some to some kids and they're just so excited about those pennies. Did it really matter to you at all about giving out those pennies? No. Why? Because you know it at home or in your bank account, there's a whole lot more where that came from and this is not a big deal. Y'all, if we gave away everything that we had here, it'd be just like giving away those pennies because of how much our Father has for us and how great heaven is and how great it is just to be with him and what he's prepared for us and that we can trust him here and now. Okay? Being rich, treasure in heaven. Um, so there's an idea here of, 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 of liberality, of being willing to have what you take what you have and share and give those, particularly to those in need. Um, you know what I was saying? It's giving to the poor. Um, so there's a generosity factor, treasure in heaven. Generosity of the poor, generosity of those in need. Um, Hebrews 10.34 has a similar um, point. Hebrews chapter 10. And 34. This is um, describing how these Hebrews had behaved to the writer of the Hebrew letter, most likely Paul. Um, said, for you had compassion of me and my bonds... I was, in, I was in bond. I was in jail under arrest for preaching the gospel. You had compassion upon me and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Right? Means they gave of what they had to them with a good, glad heart. You know, spoiling is what happens when you, you conquer a city and you take the wealth. Right? They're saying they're doing it to yourself where you're giving it away knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. All that we can give away here is not enduring. But that which we have in heaven is. All right? We have a better substance in heaven. All right? And so that was a generosity that furthered the gospel, right? Most likely, again, Paul's probably the writer of Hebrews. It doesn't explicitly say that. Um, but this is seeking the kingdom first, putting the money that the Lord has given us right, into His service, showing mercy, rather than trying to amass massive piles of wealth so we can look at it and say, oh, look how great we are. Right? It's our treasure. 1 Peter 1 and 4. Our treasure is that inheritance. That inheritance is prepared for us. 1 Peter 1 and 4. Bless, well, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. You've been born again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that was the means of which this is possible, to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away. That's the opposite of all earthly inheritance, those that are corruptible. Right? They can change, they can decay, they can be taken away. But this is reserved in heaven for you, 
then, verse 5 now, who are kept, guarded by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You have the inheritance. It's waiting for you. It's prepared for you. And now you're being kept. That's good. That's remembering where the real treasure and value is. All right. Go to Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33. And verse 4. I'll start reading 5. The Lord is exalted, for He dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. You ever thought about that? That your treasure can be the fear of the Lord itself? Right. What, what, is, what is fearing the Lord? I mean, we, we use that word and we tend to think of, I'm, 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 I'm terrified, I'm, I'm quaking, I'm, you know, I'm going to get hurt. No, this is... This is a reverential love and awe and respect. Do you have someone who's worthy of your love and respect and trust in your Father? You do! And if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you that allows you to cry out and say, Abba, Father, my Father, my God, and your God, that's someone that you can hold on to. Something that you can... That sure anchor that goes within the veil... Right? Are we going to have hard times here? You better believe it. And he's promised a wonderful inheritance there. But even now, you have the treasure in the fact that you fear and love the Lord. You know, if you are able to love the Lord, you are very blessed. That's not your natural state. That's not your default. By nature, when we're born, we're against God. We hate Him. We want to have our self as our idol. We want to serve self and do whatever pleases me and, and amass all the riches and toys and trinkets. But if He has done that work in your heart where you can see Christ in His glory and in His beauty of what He's done for you and love God, that's amazing! That's a treasure. That allows you to change your perspective and see Matthew chapter 6 is not something that's impossible. Fear of the Lord. And if you understand that, then if you go forward a little bit, um, back a little bit to Proverbs chapter 15 and 16, you'll understand this proverb a little bit better. Proverbs 15 and verse 16 says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. You've still got great treasure if you've just got little. Because the fear of the Lord is a great treasure. That's Proverbs 15, 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord with great treasure and trouble therewith. You can have all the stuff in this world and if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you got nothing. You've got flighty riches that are going to fly away. You've got generally heartache because you've got so much now you can't sleep at night because you're worried about it. So you've got two commands there. Amassing not riches in earth, but laying up treasures for uh, yourself in heaven, being rich toward God, having mercy upon those in need, um, putting forth in the furtherance of the gospel. Just a couple of the examples we looked at. Um, remembering what, what your treasure actually is. It's an acknowledgement of it. I mean, often it's the Lord Himself. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is this is the teaching moment. If you focus and care and love about chasing the things of this world, that's where your your care and your affection and your attention and your energy and your zeal go. Guess where your heart is. In that, 
versus if you're trying to seek the Lord where your time and energy and focus and love and zeal shouldn't be in that. It should be in seeking Him, putting Him forth, learning more about Him. And then as you learn about that, trying to live that out. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Alright, so there's an impact. The focus of your labors has a heart impact. Alright? And and just in case you're like, well, I'd sure like to try being rich and just see how it happened. You know, Solomon Solomon went through that. Right? Solomon was the wisest next to Christ who lived. And he had it all, literally. He he had the kingdom, he had the wives. I mean, between wives and concubines, I think it added up to a thousand. I mean, he had more chariot stalls and horses than you could shake a stick at. I mean, it was, he had it all. And yet he realized it's all just vanity, which means empty. It's worthless. There's no enduring substance to it. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, written by Solomon. Right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you've set your heart on the things of this world and you love them, verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. You cannot get enough. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. If you love having a super abundance of stuff, if you have a massive bumper crop or your investments go up or whatever it is and you just have this massive ingathering it's like well that's not enough right this also is vanity when goods increase he said here's a practical ramification Solomon lived this out when goods increase they are increased that eat them you have to have a larger household to support it all right so having a conversation about somebody who, who bought a private jet and you just wouldn't believe the difficulties that come with that. You gotta keep a pilot on staff, and then you gotta pay for where he's gonna stay and, and lodging, and you gotta keep the maintenance up, and it's just my goodness, what a headache. Well, I sure am sorry. <laughs> but as you get get more your your problems and your logistics and the people who are there to support it all, it's just more and more and more and more. What good is it to the owners thereof? The owners. All right, you've got more. What good is it? Saving the beholding of it with their eyes. I remember old Scrooge McDuck. He had that big gold, the vault of gold, old gold coins. He'd jump in and go swimming. I think the physics of that are really bad. You probably bust your space, but um, he's just swimming it. What, what, what good is it? You can just look at it. 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich won't suffer him to sleep. You know, when, when, when the stock market has a downturn, you and I will probably sleep okay. But the folks who got millions and billions, they're going to be taking some antacid and tossing and turning. This is a sore evil under the sun, which I have seen. Uh, this is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Okay? You say, well, Brother John, this is not real fun. Okay. <coughs> Somebody's got to tell you what the word says because the American dream says something different. American dream says if you don't have. How many ever million dollars you need saved up in your retirement account, you you can't be whatever. Happy, successful, that's everything you see, media, books, or whatever, the general theme is chasing happiness through stuff. That ain't scriptural. Now, am I telling any of y'all to stop working? No. That ain't scriptural either. Right? Thessalonians fell into that. And what Paul said, he who won't work won't eat. Right? They were just expecting that, well, Christ's got to be coming back. I'm assuming here. Christ's got to be coming back at some point. We'll just kind of sit around and we'll just have church meeting and nobody go to work. And, uh, you know, we'll just kind of live off the collective pool like they did there at Acts for a little bit of time. Um, no. 
Right? You've each been given responsibilities and charges and people that you're to care for and provide for. Continue to do that. This is not saying don't work. This is saying what is your focus in life? If it's the amassing of stuff, Christian, you're off target. Okay? Putting Christ first isn't optional for us. All right. 22 through 23. Jesus gives us a word picture. And I'll admit to you, this word picture has confused me over the years. And it's all in the same context, and so it's got to be teaching this similar point about greed and covetousness versus um, being open-handed or liberal or generous. It says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, so that's a key word there, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, so we've got a word picture over here with the body, but the keys are figuring out what it means by single and evil. Right? If we need that, then we can go unpack the picture. Um, so I bought some Greek dictionaries, like some dictionaries. The only problem was the letters are all in Greek. <laughs> so I've had to learn enough of the Greek alphabet to be able to find the word. Strong's will tell me what the word looks like, but I had to learn the alphabet enough to be able to find it. Anyway, useful resource if you can figure out how to use it. Um, and so that's, that piece has helped me with this word, um, single. Partially because, you know, when I'm looking up in Strong's and I want to see, well, where else does it appear? This particular word only appears one other time, and that's when Jesus is saying the same parable, the same you know, account. And so I don't have a real pattern to go look at. Um, and so this one, it says the literal translation of single is simple. Open without ulterior motive. And I like this, and this is a quote from the Kettle Dictionary. Um, Free from inner discourse. It's related to another word, closely related to what's translated as singleness. Ephesians 6 and chapter 5 talks about uh, servants uh, honoring your masters and how you're going about serving them. You know, for our context, your employees, while you're serving those that you work for. Servants be obedient to them that are their masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, a very closely related word, not with eye service as men, men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Are you striving to do the will of God from the heart? Single motivation versus a dual motivation. Y'all ever, okay, I'll just use me. I have worked at jobs before where I've gotten instructions, and I've said, yeah, okay. And then they've walked on, and I've had an inner monologue with myself about how I really disagree or don't care or whatever. I've had a sorry attitude. Even if I go ahead and do it, I'm not doing it with a pure, single heart. I'm double-minded, right? I'm putting on the appearance, that hypocrisy, that playing the part. And we talked about earlier in Matthew about doing things to be seen in men. Well, that's what it talks about doing eye service. Right? If I'm doing things at a superficial level just to be seen as opposed to genuinely serving from the heart outward. Okay, so that word's very, very closely related to this word single. It appears, that same singleness word appears again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12. I know I'm having you do a lot of flipping today, but just forgive me. 2 Corinthians 9 and 12. Maybe. Thirteen. There it is. For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but the abundance also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection of the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. That word liberal there is the same word that's translated singleness back in Ephesians. Single-hearted, pure, open. So you got the idea there 
of, of generosity and elsewhere it's traded um, in giving and simplicity. Um, the general general theme here is is um, the general word is, is still simple, right? Pure. And think of it in terms of single-minded versus double-minded, right? I like that without the interior dialogue of yes, what I'm saying is true from my mouth and true from my heart. Um, and here in the word picture, it's connected to our eye. So we, if we have that open, simple, um, pure eye, you can see that show up in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9. Proverbs 22 and verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth his bread to the poor. So that bountiful, liberal generosity, that the eye is pure and single. And what does he do? He giveth his bread to the poor. Right? There's a, that, that love and action, consistent internally and externally. Now, the flip side of that is the evil eye. Okay? And that sounds kind of scary, but evil eye. Well, first reference to that shows up all the way back in Deuteronomy. And Jesus didn't choose his words by chance, right? A lot of what he said, whether it's directly or indirectly, is taken from Scripture itself, which makes sense. Deuteronomy 5, 15, starting down in verse 7. If there be among you a poor man of thy brethren within any of the gates in thy land which the Lord God hath given thee, thou shalt not harden thy height, harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy brother, and thou givest him naught. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be a sin unto thee. Now, the rule was... If you loan somebody something, after seven years, that loan was forgiven. Okay, And so somebody comes to you in year six and in month nine and asks for help, he says, don't have an evil eye where you've got that ulterior motive, that greedy covetousness of saying, well, I'll do this, I'm not going to get it back, rather than not lend it. Right? That's the association there with that eye being evil. So contrary to the generosity, liberality, and um, you know, charity in action, right? It's that kind of closed-fisted um, idea. Shows up again in Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 10 says, The soul of the wicked desireth evil. His neighbor findeth no favor in his eyes. All right? It's the evil eye finding no favor. One who needs favor, one who needs grace, compassion, mercy. But having an evil eye is when you don't allow there to be neighbor, neighborly compassion. When you don't allow your neighbor... says, that's the soul of the wicked. Desiring evil. Alright. Again, over in 23. Proverbs 23. says, Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. Now, those who have dainty meats are those that are rich. It's the fancy stuff. This is the caviar. Right? Don't eat bread with him, nor desire his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's really going on in the inside is who he actually is. He says, eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. All right, so you can see the the association of an evil eye is one who's uh, covetous and greedy and is having a different internal monologue with what they're saying and what's coming out their mouth. Um, you don't have to turn to it, um, but this dual-mindedness, this, this actually word, evil eye, appears in a list in Mark chapter 7 and verse 22, and it's describing um, basically lust of the flesh and all the different... Um, vile things that defile a man um, out of the man out of the heart of a man proceedeth evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness deceit lasciviousness and evil eye 
looking at others without mercy, compassion, um, jealousy, covetousness, you know, all that kind of wrapped up into it. Covetousness is listed off separately. Blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. All right. So you have this idea of the light, your eye being what lets in this light. If you're looking at things with a focus, your guiding principles is looking to serve the Lord with generosity and kindness and mercy, that's going to affect your whole life. It's going to flow throughout your whole body. If that's the attitude that you're looking at in your vision and perspective, as opposed to if you're looking at Somebody's just trying to take advantage of me. They're just whatever. And just having that hard-hearted, covetous, greedy nature. That's, that's, that's having the, the evil eye. And you know what? That affects the rest of your life. How you're approaching that, that source from that very beginning impacts how it is lived out. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you have the, the sin of covetousness, that's going to impact many, many areas of your life. It's not just isolated. Okay? So, statement of fact in 24. No man can serve two masters. Well, what, are your, what are your options? You cannot serve God and mammon. All right, mammon, this is, it's a word picture. It's taking riches and personifying them as a god. Okay? If you are trying to lay up treasures for yourself on earth, you are making riches your god. You can't serve God and the God of stuff. You'll make choices about which ones you're going to please. But this is plain to done. You can't do it both ways. You'll either love one and hate the other, or else you'll hold the one and despise the other. You say, well, hate's a strong word. I don't hate hate God. Well, that also word could be held in to hell, hold in low esteem, to disregard when do I choose to ignore what God says? Well, when I'm serving the other idol that's more important than him in my life. Okay? Therefore, because this is true, because I've told you to focus on the things of heaven, because it's going to impact your heart, and you can't to serve two masters, therefore... Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or yet for your body, what you shall put on. Again, this is not saying, well, I just don't have to physically eat anything anymore. I don't have to think about it. I just, I just won't. I'll be fine. No, this is talking about fretting. Y'all ever fret? Fretting... Sorry to say it, he's saying, I don't trust God. If God has promised to care for me and love me and not leave him forsake me, Fred is saying, I don't really trust you to do that. Y'all ever given an assignment to somebody and they weren't really trustworthy and you're kind of worried about, were they going to do it? Were they going to show up? I hated group projects. Oh my goodness, I hated group projects. In high school, you had four people. Guess who had to do all the work? One. Because the other three weren't trustworthy. And when you actually did give out a piece of it to it, you were waiting. For, oh, what's it going to look like? Are they going to show up today? You know, Right? You're fretting. Well, the sources of those were probably worth fretting about. But God's different. Right? He knows that you need things. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need raiment. Right? Those are your needs. Biblical needs, those are your needs. In America, we try to add a lot of other needs. I need health care, and I need air conditioning, and I need, right? Those are wants. Those are nice. They're luxuries. But he knows that you need food and raiment. Over in 1 Timothy, it says, you know, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Right? But if he knows that you need them, and he provides them for that which is least out in nature, birds, and provides clothing for um, flowers. 
and you're better than those, why are we not willing to trust Him with our lives, with our food, and with our bodies? He made them! Literally. He knows what they need. He loved you enough to give you His Son. His promise He's going to keep you. Are His promises worthy of being trusted? You say, well, it's kind of harsh when you talk about it in those terms. I was just worrying. <laughs> yeah, we talk about worrying like it's not a big deal. You know, it's like one of those kind of lesser sins. Trust and obey, right? That's what we're called to do. And you got somebody who's worthy of trusting and great and precious promises. Okay? Are you better than birds? Yes. Does he care for the birds? Yes. Will he care for you? Yes. 27 is funny. He said, what good has your worrying ever done? It's, exor- it's an exercise in futility, right? He says, how many of y'all have been able to grow 18 inches just by fretting about it? Boys, when I was in fourth grade and just sure I was never going to hit four feet tall, <laughs> I fretted about height. Didn't change a lick. Right? By taking thought for it, by having anxious care, if I spent the rest of my life just fretting, trying to add one inch, not even eight, not even a cubit, just a just a millismidgen, it would have no impact, right? So why waste your time? He's taking taking he's revealing. You're wasting your time on something, but one, you're not trusting me, and two, it doesn't do any good anyway. Quit burning your energy on it. He'll feed you. He'll clothe you. He'll do it better than what's in nature. O ye of little faith. Now, he's talking to his disciples. Now, remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples gathered around him. These are the ones who are, are listening and love him and follow him. He's He's calling them little faith. Y'all, sometimes we're little faith. And we need to be reminded and corrected and drawn closer to Him. Therefore, because all this is true, don't take thought for what you'll eat or drink or where you'll be clothed. It says, for all these things do the Gentiles think. That's, that's, that's the natural state. You know, when we're born, we're chasing these things. You can spend a large amount of your hours worried and consumed and driving about it. He says, that's, that's natural. But the difference is that you know that you have a Heavenly Father. And you know that He's smart. Sometimes we pray to God like He's dumb. Like we're trying to tell Him, Lord, if you just would know this solution and this timing that I've arranged out for you and go ahead and handle it the way that I've decided, things would just be a lot better. I need some humility in our prayers, Right? Trust in Him to provide. Your Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But what's 33? But, instead of having the anxious care, instead of fretting, but, here's the positive, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and seek ye first, his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. They're, they're kind of, it's secondary, and that's the point. Your life is more than what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. The greater value that we add here is we're looking at the author and finish of our faith and following after him, seeking his kingdom. He said to love you. Love one another as much as he loves you? Is that a high bar? Yeah, he gave himself for you. So we got to practice that. Heck, even your neighbors. You're to love them at least as much as you love yourself. I'll let you know a secret. You all love yourselves. (laughs) 
And your neighbor includes even your worst enemy. Those that are cursing you and despitefully using you and hating you and persecuting you. Do good to them, bless them, pray for them. Elsewhere it says in doing so it's like pouring hot coals of fire on their head, but let the Lord deal with the result. You're called to be faithful and serve Him. Seek His kingdom first. Alright? Hypothetical. You're at work and you've been instructed to do something illegal, unethical, immoral, wrong. Consequence of not doing this will cost you your job. If your thought process is got a family at home, I've got to feed them, I've got to do this wrong thing because food, mortgage, shelter, whatever, right? This is putting the things of this world as number one. Versus, I'm going to honor God and do what's right and trust Him that He knows what I need. Our circumstances may change dramatically. It may look very different. But it's more important to do the right thing, to honor Him and to seek His righteousness. Particularly as I've claimed to be His follower. Right? Follower of Christ. It's more important. Another random hypothetical. You get a call up from the headhunter. We've been looking for you. We need you to come take this job. We're going to pay you millions of dollars. Come on. We just need you to move out here to this place where there's not a church around for a thousand miles. What's your focus? What's your motivation? How do you make these decisions? Are you calibrated like the world? Where it says, well, if I had all this money, then I could go give to that church back home and I'd be doing, doing good. That's an excuse. We can justify what we want to do. The kicker is retraining ourselves as what does he want us to do and then going after that. And not fearing and trusting while he works out everything else. get personal. If I was focused on laying up treasures on earth, guess where I would not be this morning? Here. Went back to the trucking company for their health fair to kind of reintroduce myself as the chaplain for like the 40% of the people who um, had not met me. Most common joke was, I thought you were older! <laughs> I, I don't see my face, it's just an email. Hey, come to the Bible study. So... Um, you know, and I talked to the attorney I, I used to work for, and he's still trying to figure out his retirement plans. I've really messed it up. But by now, if I if that was my goal, I could be the general counsel of this you know company that's got a billion dollars in revenue every year, and I could be chasing that. But would I be any better off? I'd be worse off. I'd have so much more trouble and hardship. And you know who I would not be seeking out on a day-to-day -day basis? I would. Now, y'all have to make decisions every day. And I can't make those decisions for you. So the best that I can do is try to show you here's how we go about thinking about those decisions and how can I make those that seek the Lord and glorify Him versus getting off base and getting and when you're off base you know what happens you will get farther and farther and farther afield it may just start as a little bit right honor God first sometimes that's scary because we're fretting do it anyway seriously do it anyway being a follower of Christ 
should be something significant in our lives. It's not a title. It's not what we do on Sunday mornings. It is from the moment we wake to the moment that we sleep. What we're trying and seeking and driving after and pushing for is to look and act and think and please the one who bought and paid us. They paid for us. I'm a debtor. I'm, I'm, I'm completely owned by Christ. He bought me. Soul, mind, body, and spirit. But he's a gracious master. My Lord, who's adopted me and you into his family. And so, my master is someone I can love. If you can love the Lord, it's because he's, he's already loved you. He's already loving you. Y'all ever want to please the ones that you love? And you tend to want to please the ones you love the most. The most. Right? As between you know, my wife and somebody I work with at the trucking company, I should care more about pleasing my wife. Why? Because I love her more. <laughs> right? Who do you please in your life? Do you love self or the Lord more? When you're loving self, you tend to follow that worldly path. When you're loving Him, it looks different. And it should look different. Almost radically different. The last verse says, To take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There's enough troubles and hardship today. You don't have to lay awake fretting about tomorrow. If you're being kept by the Lord, which are you? Yes. Yes. And you can trust Him not only today, but also to handle tomorrow. I want you to turn with me to Revelation. We're doing fine on time. All right, another 45 minutes. We'll be, no, I'm just kidding. Last, last, last reference. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. One of the answers answered, saying unto me, What are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And John said, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Do y'all believe that's real? If you believe that's real, which I do, and that God is going to eternally feed you and eternally clothe you and eternally care for you. Is He not worthy of your trust in today? And He's going to continue 
to be with you, lead you, guide you, show you the path of righteousness. When you choose to disregard it, He'll love you enough to chasten you. But He's worthy of your trust. He is able to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That's not something we really want to think about. It's in Psalm 23, right? He's that good shepherd who's caring for us as little, dumb sheep. Sheep aren't widely regarded as being real intelligent creatures. That's pretty accurate for us, right? But the shepherd knows best. And he's leading them. And he's putting them in spots where there's food and there's water and he's caring for them. It's a good picture. And it's true. So fear not, little flock. But your father's good pleasure give you the kingdom and he's not going to abandon you on the road right? and the Lord bless you